Hello and welcome back to RA's Exchange, or welcome if you're new here. I'm Martha, thank you for choosing us. This week I'm here to share with you my conversation with the Scottish DJ, producer, writer, thinker and founder of what is personally one of my all-time favourite record labels, Hyperdub. It's Code Night. I'm quite interested in what happens to world-building stories, fiction, video games, film, when you start from the soundtrack instead of the soundtrack being an afterthought. Code 9 has taken on a lot of roles. From starting out as a DJ with a deep appreciation for jungle, drum and bass and dubstep, to playing a part in the elevation of artists including Burial, DJ Rashad, Fatima Al-Qadiri and so many more. We're also talking promoter, artist, academic. We weren't short of things to talk about. But this interview comes with the release of Escapology, which is not only Code 9's fourth album, but it's a part of a wider project with many layers, strands and forms. And one of my favourite parts of this interview, actually, is hearing him unfurl the elements of this project. So listen out for that, which is coming up. We also talked about hyperpop, generational cycles in music, spaceports and hiking in the Scottish Highlands. I really hope that you have a wonderful listen to Code 9 on RA's Exchange. The very warmest of welcomes, or technically welcome back to the exchange, to Code9, who is joining me now. I will say that we did already record this and I managed to lose the audio. Um, But lucky for all of you listeners, Code9 is up for speaking to me again. So welcome to the exchange, Code9. Hello. Hi. How's it going again? (laughs) Uh, Welcome back. So we have a lot to talk about today, but I would love it if you would start by taking us all the way back to an early memory that you have that's connected to hearing electronic music and hearing jungle initially. And if you have any memories of like those experiences and if they've stayed with you. And probably the first electronic music I heard was in the early 80s in Scotland, groups like The Associates, early Simple Minds, stuff like that. But it wasn't until the late 80s, early 90s, when dance music kind of acid house was happening and it was colliding with indie music culture like Happy Mondays, Stone Roses, Primal Scream, The Charlatans. I suppose that's when I first heard dance music or became aware of that culture. I started DJing a couple of years after that, but playing late 60s, early 70s, kind of funk and rock crossover stuff. James Brown, bits of the Rolling Stones, this, this random. It, was, it wasn't until 92, 93. I think I remember SL2's On a Ragatip being the first, first kind of hardcore-ish, jungle-ish thing that I bought. And again, you know, this stuff was in the charts at the time, as far as I remember. Um, and I picked up, again, around about 92, 93, I picked up a DJ Hype tape where I was living in Edinburgh at that time. And it was like Hype scratching hardcore in the early jungle. 
And the music I'd been DJing just before that, 70s psychedelic jazz and funk, it was all music that had all the breaks that then got sampled by hip-hop in the 80s and then Jungle in the 90s. So when I first heard Jungle, it was like it just brought together all the different strands of the music that I'd been DJing with the last couple of years before. And that was that for the next five or six years, I suppose. Like all my musical needs were fulfilled by Jungle and then kind of early drum and bass. And before you started DJing, would you say you were like, curating music and sort of filing music into different categories in your taste and your brain in a way that like prepared you for when you started DJing or did it just sort of all kind of fall into place? I don't know I remember in the 80s I'd go to my local library the public library and I would I would get out as much music as I could and then I would make tapes of all the LPs and I would do my own covers to the tapes trying to badly copy it's like really bad bootlegging (laughs) so like trying to copy the front covers using felt tip pens but i was like quite quite voracious with like borrowing music at the library and then recording it and starting a tape collection i'm not sure i was categorizing it but i was learning a lot at the time and building a building a little library my own Mm. funny what you said about like jungle being in the charts at at the time um because i personally feel like jungle's kind of creeping into the charts now uh with artists like pink pantheress and uh people who will hopefully chart soon like near archives um i'm curious to hear what you think it was about the sound of jungle that resonated initially and why it might be coming back around now. Um, are there any similarities in the two time periods? Well, for me, it was, I mean, it was more like rave and hardcore and bits of happy hardcore that I was hearing in the charts. And I think SL2's On a Ragatip was just like a little taster of what was brewing in the depths, which would become become jungle just that combination of like speeded up breakbeats and kind of jamaican toasting or the reggae samples um i like i'm less aware of this kind of jungle revival thing that's going on just now although i know the archive stuff and pink panther s but it seems like jungle gets a revival every few years and it also has had chart hit or at least drum and bass has had chart hits over the last 20 years shy fx and so on um so i maybe there's just a new generation connecting with the 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 kind of trend cycle again or converging with the trend cycle again or discovering the music for the first time certainly i've heard a lot of decent mid-90s clones in the last few years like the stuff i really loved um people doing that pretty well pretty convincingly with their own little twists i've always got a soft spot for that stuff well yeah we know that music kind of goes in cycles as someone who's kind of been doing that research and cataloging even from a while back um 
Why do you think music moves in these cycles? I think mostly it's a generational thing. You know, music, music doesn't move forward. It doesn't progress in a linear fashion like a lot of people like to think. You get musical innovations, but there's always a cyclical relationship with the past and a generational relationship of like, it's almost like with each generation, the time cycle starts from scratch again. So you can't just picture it as a straight line going forward. It's always kind of devouring its own past and upgrading itself with younger ears and younger dancing crowds and new t- most importantly maybe new technologies which help push things nudge things forward to an, the next kind of phase mm. so it's a bit zigzaggy and it's a bit cyclical and certainly not a straight line but you know obviously the technology we have now people can consume the whole history of music simultaneously it's not it's not in some kind of chronological order with the music of the 70s coming before the music of the 90s. It's just all there, flattened out on a music streaming service or download shop. Um, so I think the whole relationship of time to, to musical innovation has changed quite a lot in the last 20 mm. years. Yeah, I feel like the loop is just shrinking um, because my previous like understanding of learning about like the history of electronic music is like you say it was quite chronological but I feel like now stuff's getting sampled that only came out in like 2016 and like referenced in lyrics that originally came out like only a few years ago I'm just like what's going to happen as the gap keeps on closing I always like to think that it's almost got to the point where it's flipped over and the gap has gone the other way so that um, thing like things in the underground don't just come out and then they go mainstream in a shorter and shorter time after it. But that whole distinction doesn't necessarily work anymore. And now you've got AI generated music and all these um, virtual pop stars and these kind of virtual phenomena come before there's even a, a, an actual physical groundswell of a of a crowd and you can get this kind of weird online momentum for things that have almost like ghost ghost music that have no physical reality and sometimes that will converge with an actual crowd but other times it will just virtual scenes will just remain in the corner of the internet kind of like empty shells i think for me that's what hyperpop means it's not like a musical genre it's like pop music's gone into this realm where somehow it precedes its audience as opposed to coming out of an actual actual scene in the physical realm. How much time as a part of your practice do you dedicate to like considering this type of stuff? I'm just asking because your background is in academia. Um, n- no time. No time at all time. It's just, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not something any different from, it's just what I do really. Like when I'm, I used to, yeah, I don't teach anymore. I, I taught from about 2002 to 2015. 
And then, um, yeah, I, I find academia an increasingly unpleasant place to exist. What did you teach? I used to teach sound design, sound design for film, sound design for inter interactive media, an Emmy in sonic culture, um, popular music and politics, um, mostly stuff in relation to those themes, cybernetic culture. Juicy stuff. Very juicy. <laughs> um, well, you're actually here today to tell us a bit more about escapology and Astrodarian. Um, please could you lay out the elements of this project for us, the kind of the audio, the visual side, um, and also the root of the initial mm. concept and the thoughts? Well, the conception of it, must have been around 2019 when I was invited by NRGRM in Paris to do a to do a performance on this sound system, this 50, 50 speaker sound system called the Acousmonium, which was invented or designed by music concrete composer Francois Bale in the nineteen early seventies, I think. And this was supposed to happen in March 2020. So I, I started putting it together in 2019. And because of the sound system, I wanted it to be kind of sonic elements, that, at least some sonic elements, which were detailed enough to feel like they were moving around the space in an interesting way. I also didn't want to do probably what I expected to be going on at these events, which was instrumental music. So I was trying to think of a way of doing some kind of spoken word project. And that year we did the first release, 2019, we did the first release on Flatlines, which was a, a record label, a sub-label of Hyperdub, which I set up in order to release particularly spoken word um sound pieces, sonic fictions, audio essays. And actually the, the, the main reason I set up Flatlines was to release this Astrodarian project. Um, but the first release on the label was On Vanishing Land by Mark Fisher and Justin Barton. Um, anyway, so I made most of the music in early, late 2019 2020 for Asher Darian, I had started putting together this story which had emerged out of just the frustration of being a Scot living in London during the Scottish referendum and Brexit. Anyway, the, the, the performance didn't happen. It got cancelled due to the pandemic. So it gave me a lot more time to kind of work on the story and to develop the sound. Um... I spent a lot of time during lockdown playing video games, which definitely fed into my thought process. And I also, around about that time, found out about these two proposed spaceports that were going to be built in the Highlands of Scotland to launch satellites. I found out that Glasgow had a big satellite industry and don't know, just all these random facts. I was kind of blown away by the idea that there would be spaceports in the highlands of Scotland. 
And also around this time, mainly due to this post-Brexit frustration of being trapped on the island of Fortress Britain, um, I started doing some just research into why did the UK happen in the first place? And why did Scotland join the UK? What was it that made Scotland join the UK? And, you know, it's part of thinking about why Scotland wants to leave the UK or roughly half the population in Scotland want to leave the UK. And I came across this uh, project that took place called the Darien Scheme, which took place in the early, in the late 1690s, when a kind of impoverished Scotland tried to colonise part of present-day Panama, an area called the Darien Gap. Um, and it was kind of catastrophic. A lot of the country from from poorer sections of the population right up to aristocracy invested in the project um, to send ships over there and thousands of people to settle. And, you know, went ro- it went catastrophically wrong. Loads of the settlers got malaria. Um, the project was sabotaged by the English and the Spanish empires. Um, everything that could go wrong went wrong with it and it almost bankrupted the country and was kind of one of the main contributing factors to Scotland entering the UK in 1707. So I was kind of interested in that and at the same time I'd been playing loads of computer games, video games, and I found out that the company who made Grand Theft Auto, Rockstar North, were, were a company that I think had grown out of a video game production program at Dundee University or something like that. Anyway, they were based in in the east coast of Scotland. And I was like, that's kind of weird that a Scottish video game company would find worldwide acclaim by simulating street life in American cities. Um, and so I began thinking, well, what if they made a game what if they made a game about the breakup of Britain? What if they made a game set in the highlands of Scotland? And part, you know, part of that game is about escaping something catastrophically has gone wrong with the UK. And, and so the game is to escape the UK. And that's where I came up with the idea of Astro Darien, which is, you know, the Darien scheme went catastrophically wrong. And it also was a door was was a door into Scotland joining with England into the ex- exploits of the British Empire colonialism slavery imperialism uh plantations you know there's huge Scottish population in Jamaica a lot of Jamaicans have Scottish heritage from their slaveholders and so on so what if Astro Darien was a game that's programmed by a Scottish Panamanian games designer who tries to kind of invert or correct some of these disastrous repercussions of the Darien scheme, which led to the UK and, and a whole history, kind of dark history of empire. And so Astro Darien was like an orbit, became like this idea of an orbital space habitat, which is kind of analog for aspects of Scottish independence. 
that's some of the themes I'm forgetting loads because it's as you can tell it's a tangled web of of ideas that I'm still trying to unpick. Um anyway, so round about October 2020 in between lockdowns I went on a road trip to the Highlands of Scotland from London and and went to visit some of these proposed spaceports and did some hiking, climbed some mountains, climbed this mountain called Ben Hope, took lots of pictures, video, did some sound recordings, explored that whole area. Um, and then a few months later, early 2021, maybe March or April, Corsica Studios got in touch and because they they'd found out that they could kind of semi-open their club space in South London. In the interim, before opening up properly, they could open up as a gallery space. So because we'd been doing zero there since 2017 and transforming the dance floor of uh, Room One into installations and films and, and so on every month, they asked if we had, if I had any ideas for doing something to use the space before it could be club space again and I thought this was a good opportunity to turn what was then at the Ashwadarian audio essay into like some kind of audiovisual piece and so I kind of repurposed all of the the stuff that I'd filmed in the Highlands and stole a a lot of stuff off YouTube and asked Lawrence Leck to do a small animation and to visualize the Ashodarian space habitat, which is kind of modeled on, I've been reading this book called Space Settlements, um, which was about this, meet this, these symposiums in the, or conferences in the 1970s where NASA brought together artists and engineers and um astronomers and and so on to kind of imagine in the, the most creative way possible like if the shit really hit the fan on earth like what how would how would humanity escape earth and into space stations or space habitats or terraforming other planets um and they can you know the art there's lots of artist renditions of what these space habitats would look like and one that really draw my attention drew my attention was called Stanford Taurus and you know it's a very influential model that's appeared in loads of computer games and films like Elysium the Neil Blomkamp film with Matt Damon where the elite escape to the Stanford Taurus which is in orbit above earth and it looks like I don't know, it's like a, a ring and the inside of the ring is like Beverly Hills or something. Um, so, so I, you know, I'd collect, been collecting all these images and I just sent them over to, to Lawrence to help produce some initial sketches of the Ashodarian space habitat. I also sent him like scenes from the video game I'd been playing a lot, Death Stranding. And some kind of landscapes from the highlands, particularly from the Isle of Skye, the one that appears on the cover to Escapology and Astrodarian and the animation that Lawrence did, which is the Old Man of Store, which is this kind of rocky outcrop, um, which also featured in the, the, the alien film, Alien Prometheus, like in the very first scene 
of that film. Um, so yeah, I sent a kind of mood board to Lawrence and he produced two animations. One inside the, the space habitat is kind of this loop, this closed loop. And the other one from outside it, where you can see the UK from a kind of satellite vantage point. And um, you just see the, the space habitat revolving from afar. So yeah, I did the installation for Astro Darien. It was open for two weeks at Corsica Studios early June 2021. And then eventually um, I did the, 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 the diffusion in Paris at Maison de la Radio, which is kind of the Parisian equivalent of Maid of Ale Studios in London in October 2021 in Pitch Darkness. Um, all the time, all the while I'd done this, I was like, hmm, there's, there's bits of, this is a fucking weird project. I don't know what people are going to make of this. But, you know, some of the sound design is quite different for me. And, and you know, I like, I like that. And I was like, you know, it would be a waste just to, just to leave this in the, this, this underscore for an audio essay. I really want to make some tracks that I would DJ with out of these sounds. What I, this kind of project I was referring to as Astro Club at that particular moment and so i just began building club tracks out of bits of the astrodarian soundtrack and beginning of 2022 i was like pretty clear that astrodarian was a bit i wanted to have some way of introducing astrodarian before it actually came out and so that's where escapology came from it's kind of the instrumental clubbier version of Astrodarian with no only little snippets of narration. You know, Astrodarian really uses the same collection of sounds. There's a lot of overlap, but there's no beats and and Escapology strips away all the narration. Um so it just made sense to me that Escapology would be a kind of better intermediary step to introduce this weird project. Um, so yeah, Escapology just, just come out in the middle of July and Astrodarian will come out um, October-ish. I love how, I don't know if it's inadvertently, but you've created something for like every corner of your audience because each of these projects sits alone but they all kind of sit together in a set as well but for someone who is a fan of you via the music side they can go straight to escapology and someone who's digging a bit deeper into the theory and the the conceptual side of what you do can pursue astrodarian um so yeah I, I really like how they can sit as their own sort of separate planets but also work together to display what you do it's like russian dolls or onions like some people just want to <laughs> dig to, you know, dig on the surface or scrape around the surface. Some people, if you're, if they're interested, want to dig a bit deeper. And so it's about building it kind of unintentionally. It's just the way the projects have evolved, but just there's layers there if people want to go deeper. But as I've learned over the years doing various 
projects that that are focused more on a specific audience, whether it be more academic stuff or more dance music related stuff that um not everybody has the same interests or the same curiosity, but instead of doing separate projects this this somehow this is a big jigsaw that even I'm just still piecing together bits of it and working out how things connect with each other and and in a, in a way, it's a story, but it's not a story in a normal linear beginning and end sense. It's a, it's a kind of framework of a story that only reality can fill in the gaps. You know, so it's kind of open enough that as things happen in the real world to do with these spaceports, to do with British politics and so on. Um, that kind of adds new chapters of the story if I decide to keep keep up with those developments. So it's kind of a, like an empty, it's like an empty frame of a story that mm. reality fills in. Yeah, it's kind of like what we were saying earlier about how the the cycles of music and the the loop is getting smaller and things feel like they're being tried again in different ways to try and achieve a different outcome. Yeah, I mean, it's, I suppose it's what I was trying to say earlier, where instead of things reacting to what's going on in the real world, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomena that, that races ahead virtually, or let's say mythically, or fictionally, and reality may catch up with that or fill in the gaps. I mean, I suppose part of what Astrodarian is about is like, you know, it might be highly unlikely that Britain breaks up or that the UK disintegrates or that Scotland gets independence or Wales gets independence or Cornwall gets independence or the north of England gets independence. But there's enough interest in that for people to like develop it mythically or to develop the idea as a model that reality may or may not catch up with. Obviously, the weight of ideological weight of British media and British politics right across the spectrum, left to right, is very strongly unionist, is very strongly resistant to that idea of breaking up. Um, so I suppose part of the idea is, regardless of whether it happens in reality, Asher Darren is like a a little virtual or fictional escape pod. And reality may or may not catch up with that. And so how do you bring that in sonically? Like listening to Escapology, it's this bumpy ride, in my opinion. Um, there's parts that are going to be incredible in a club setting. Then there's these parts that are deeply unsettling. And for me, there's parts that are also really quite soothing. Um, how do you bring all of those elements and those emotional triggers together? Well, I suppose that on, on Escapology, the, the, the more upbeat tracks are, just imagine them as like action scenes from the game. I mean, this kind of happened backwards. It's not that I went into it thinking, what would the action scene sound like? I was just like, I've made a bunch of sounds. The story kind of emerged out of the sounds. The, the story was very and still is very piecemeal and very fragmented. So I made a bunch of sounds. I was like, well, this is roughly about 
break up and and escape and space and blah blah um and then i just kind of distributed those sounds into the the fiction the fiction started to come out of it and then i was like oh i wanted to do some upbeat versions of some of these sounds so i did them and then i'm like oh hold on a minute that's what the action scenes might sound like um so it's not like you go in with a top-down plan of like i have a story and i'm going to soundtrack it it's more like the story comes out of the the soundscapes that I've made um, in bits and pieces. Um, I think that's the beauty of starting with sound and then a story comes out of that and then visuals come out of that. Because, you know, if you start with sound, it could look like anything. The minute you visualise something, it can only look one way. So I'm quite interested in, in what happens to world-building stories, fiction, video games, film, when you start from the soundtrack instead of the soundtrack being an afterthought that's left to like 10 minutes before the projects was to be finished with a budget of like £4.50. Which is kind of the way the film and the video game industry often work. So when you collaborate with someone, for example, Lawrence Leck, who is a long-term collaborator of yours and who has also been on the podcast before, if anyone wants to hear Lawrence Leck in conversation in full, um, when you guys work together, um, do you share sounds when you share those visual references and mood boards? Um, I suppose it depends on the project. Like uh, the first time we worked together was on my last album, Nothing, in 2015. And, you know, that album was done. And there was already this theme of nothing and emptiness and voids. And so we started talking about what kind of architecture would somehow capture some of these themes. And we started talking about luxury hotels and the the desolation and the the isolation and the void that that the very rich exist in. Like the more money you have, the more you want to, the more very rich people want to isolate themselves and escape other contact with other humans. So you know we're thinking about this and we came up with the idea of uh, a fully automated luxury hotel called the Notel, in which, you know, that fear of humans is taken to an extreme, taken to its end point of like, there's no human staff. It's staffed by, by um, drones and... But it's it's gone to the extreme to the point where there isn't even, you know, this whole automated hotel has been built for the very rich, but there isn't even any, for, for a reason we don't state, there isn't even any rich humans anymore. So all you've got is this automated hotel with the drones and the drones are like, oh, we don't have to serve humans anymore. What are we going to do with our time, with our free time? So it's a kind of robot rebellion kind of, vibe so so in that 
example, the the music came first, then there was a conversation about the ideas, then he built a whole virtual architecture of the Notel, which he would navigate around while we were playing live. Um, and then he developed that further into an installation, like a VR installation. Um, so I suppose that's one mode of, of working with sound, where the, the soundtrack comes first and then the architecture, the visual architecture emerges out of that. And then there's Astro Darien, in which I'd kind of made all the sound and written most of the story and then just needed part of the story visualized to help bring the whole project together to realize the the kind of end point the the orbital space habitat what does astrodarian look like so i suppose we've been developing all these different ways of working mostly most of which start with the sound kind of sonic fiction that then evolves into world building and visualized or virtual art architecture and you mentioned earlier that astrodarian visuals had been shown inside corsica studios and i think it would be great if we could um tell our listeners a bit more about zero which was at corsica studios as well um and i know you touched on it briefly um but could you explain to everyone what zero was well zero started early 2017 and it ended March 2020 interrupted by the pandemic um so we did 36 events which we then catalogued in this the first book on our kind of publishing imprint Flatlines Press um so the idea was to do a midweek club night that kind of offered something in addition to what club nights in London were usually doing. So Zero was kind of co-curated by myself and Shannon SP. And in room one, the main dance floor in Corsica Studios, we would do an installation or a short film or play a sound piece every month. And in room two, we would have a kind of party, rave, um both of the part of the reason we did it there apart from having a long relationship with Corsica Studios that goes back maybe to 2007 or 8 or something like that was because they've got two of my favorite sound systems in London and in particular at the time Room 2 was my favorite sound system in London they set up this huge stack of subs opposite the DJ booth, like aiming at the DJ booth. And every month they would give us a couple of extra ones that no one else was getting to use. Um, so as a DJ, it was like a really, my favorite place to play. And as a, as a raver, it was great to like be on the dance floor sandwiched in between the DJ and having bass coming at you from behind. Um, so we, you know, we created lineups from that tried to like act as a hub to all the little different micro scenes that were going on in London. London can often be quite cliquey. Um, and also friends, fellow travelers from around the world doing kind of mostly non-house and techno 
staff because we I think we both felt that um house and techno is more than well enough catered for by the kind of clubs and festivals that were in the world. It's kind of like a global clubbing megalith. Um I'm always very skeptical when people kind of get their violin out and play, oh, house and techno doesn't get the respect that it deserves because it's, you know, it's a massive global industry. Um, so kind of interesting experimental lineups, but, you know, for a midweek, for a midweek event, pretty full on sonically and in terms of energy. Uh, so it started on Wednesday nights and moved to Thursday nights. Um, just before the pandemic, we were due to to do it in Berlin in April twenty twenty two, a two day event, which is going to be an incredible lineup of both installations and musicians. And again, that just got scrapped. Um, so yeah, that was zero. I didn't really. I wasn't so interested in becoming a promoter. So it took something a little bit left field and out of the ordinary to like motivate me to to subject myself to that kind of anxiety every month of like, are people going to come? Uh, but it was great to like make lineups with Shannon, who's got a great ear, and just pull our brain cells together to come up with kind of interesting combinations of installations and DJs and live sets and performance pieces. Um, yeah. And people did go and they loved it, me included. Um, and yeah, I've interviewed a lot of people who explained to me that club nights such as Forward were really important in um, their musical journey and their musical education. And for me and for a lot of my friends and people my kind of age, I feel like Zero was absolutely it. And yeah, I really loved it. It was so special. I had like pals there that I honestly didn't talk to at any other time in the month, but um, just turn up to Corsica and see them in there and just enjoy it. So Yeah, I think I, think I also had a little empty spot in my heart where Forward used to be. In other words, just a small club night with an amazing sound system that you could just pitch up to. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you go on your own or not. You're always going to see people you know there, friendly faces and interesting people. And, um, and always get exposed to music. And in the case of Zero, like images or ideas or stories or concepts that, that you just left kind of feeling energised from so you know since since forward was a i think since forward i'll be more specific since there was a forward started in the velvet rooms and then went to plastic people and then halfway through forward's life at plastic people due to noise complaints the sound system got changed and it became a bit more of a studio hi-fi high a studio sound at that point it changed it was less immersive and it was much more about clarity of sound so i 
it, it wasn't as impactful on me when it changed. Then it went to dance tunnel and it became something else altogether. So since that sound system changed from being this kind of bass incubator that kind of spawned a lot of, a lot of scenes, whether it be co-op with Broken Beat, forward with grime and and with dubstep and grime um and so on um you know I, I that was a very unique club experience and um as part of the impetus subconsciously behind zero was to like have that kind of spot again somewhere small enough that it felt in- intimate there was there was never too much pressure to get people through the door um yeah and it was kind of off wasn't peak time of the week it was like off peak forward was on a thursday or a sunday zero was on a wednesday or a thursday so yeah it was it's kind of low pressure enough to be able to experiment with the lineups be able to experiment with the way people are paid not having headliners, everybody gets paid the same amount. Any profits that are made are then split equally between all the artists. The the installation artists are paid the same as the DJs. So like a little kind of bubble of um, an alternative what clubbing could be, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I miss it. Um, how about now? What What's energising you now and how are you approaching DJ sets this summer? Well, I mean, still doing a little bit of promoting, although much less. Like we did a Hyper Dub Night Corsica Studios in June and then my own album launch at Carpet Shop, middle of July. Um I think, you know, the last few months I've just really, I th- since, the, since things opened up after the pandemic, I've been enjoying DJing more than ever because I feel like I'm just doing what I want much more. And what I want to do is just play fast music. Just play footwork and juke at a little bit of jungle. Not, not so much do what I maybe have done in the past, which is like, try and please everyone and find a way of going from slow music throughout a set, like building up to, to 160. I kind of, it's much more fun for me to like, um, just go in. And so I've been doing that a lot more and, and I enjoy that so much. And, and when it clicks with crowds, it's like, there's nothing, it's kind of incomparable as a feeling. Um, So certainly things are a bit a bit patchy since the pandemic in terms of I mean there's so many factors going on with clubbing culture. There's obviously a new generation of artists come through. There's not a lot of clubs have gone have disappeared a lot of promoters have disappeared. There's kind of a new generation of festivals. Everything is kind of changes a whole different set of criteria in Clubland. Um, so it's a slightly different terrain. Um, 
so at the moment I'm just kind of developing a live set for Escapology that will debut probably at Unsound Festival in October and just playing here or there um, obviously working on Hyperdubs releases and so on and I think personally just trying to start making I've got a couple of remixes I'm doing and, and just want to start a new album as soon as possible because obviously it was seven years between Escapology and my last album and during that period I was a little bit directionless and a little bit blocked and so you know when the momentum is there you just have to ride it in terms of me having a better idea of what I want to do in the studio. Mm. And do you find having an album in the works gives you that focus and everything else kind of goes alongside it? Yeah, it just gives some direction to to the aimless wandering you do when you sit down and, and make music. It definitely helps me, it helps pull stuff out. Um, we haven't actually had much time to talk about Hyperdub um, today. Uh, but I have definitely been thinking about it um, and also from like a longevity standpoint and also from nurturing artists, um, how do you kind of interact with the artists in the Hyperdub family and how do you sculpt Hyperdub as an incubator for talent? Well, I suppose I just see Hyperdub as like, you know, once you've signed to Hyperdub, it's, it's just there. It's an open door for artists who are, you know, go off and do their own stuff on their own labels, release on other labels. If they want to come back and do stuff with us, the door is always open. Um, and, you know, I suppose every few years there's a little influx of new artists tends to come randomly less less so from me being out there hunting down exciting sounds and more what friends of friends send and most of most of the stuff I come across you know I might like it but it just doesn't necessarily click for me wanting to release it but I suppose most of the stuff we release comes through friends of friends uh, most recently, let's say, you know, like Fired Red, the Fired Red release, um, they were introduced um, to me via Scratcher. Um, Scratcher was introduced to me back in the day through hearing a track of his and a Cooley G set. Um, you know, so it often happens in that kind of way. Um, I think, I think as a label, you just have to you know, one of the first things I tend to say to artists that sign is like, start your own label. So you have that outlet. So you never get frustrated by any label curtailing your creativity or telling you what to make or what not to make. Um, you know, obviously what we'll put out might be a particular strain of what you make, but it's certainly healthy, I think, for artists, especially these days with Bandcamp, to to have their own shit rolling, to have their own feeling of being 
having control over their own music when they want it. You know, it may be that when they release with us, there's a budget to do a music video that they might otherwise not be able to do. But, you know, I think musicians these days, are, it's a very precarious situation. So you have to be, everyone's a jack of all trades and, you know, you have to be acquainted with what it takes to get your own music out there and to use a label for what you want to use them for and and so on. So we just try to be open and flexible like that with the artists we work with. Um, it's in everyone's interest for the artists we work with to be doing what they want. I think that's really good advice, actually. I've never heard a label boss give out that advice, but it makes sense when you present it. Like yeah, it's like, do what you want and don't rely on us as as a bottleneck to do everything that you want because because it, we it, we won't always want the same things so that is just being real about the way things mm. pan out focusing back on to escapology to round off our chat today what would you like to tell someone who's about to go and listen to this record um and also, what would you like to tell someone who has stumbled across this record 30 years into the future from now? Well, I, I suppose because it's part of a big jigsaw, a big jigsaw that if you put all the pieces together, still wouldn't make a complete picture. Treat it like a trailer, to like a film trailer that's giving you a little taste of various bits of story and strands of, you know, a kind of palette of sounds and, and a world. It's like a little portal into a, a world. Um, and that story is incomplete and is playing out in real time. So if you want, you know, there's places to go deeper on it. But if you are not interested in that, just treat it as a slightly weird um, dance music record. If you were 30 years in the future um, and you like dug this CD up from a garden, like buried under the soil, <laughs> you'd be like, oh, this is a little, um, what, did, what, what did this record know about what was about to happen? Like. How much did it get completely wrong? <laughs> did did half of the UK's population escape through a spaceport in the Highlands of Scotland? To be continued. And send us a message back because we want to know. Brilliant. Well, Code Nine, thank you so much for speaking to me. And yeah, Escapology is available now. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to RA's Exchange with Code9. Our full archive is available for you to take in any time you like. If you enjoyed this episode, you might like to listen to our Critics Roundtable, where RA staff share the best new music picks 
and discuss all the biggest music news. That is available on all your favourite podcast platforms right now. Until next time, take care.